0: conversations a podcast for electricians hosted by an electrician the electrical association is committed to keeping electricians in the know about the latest developments in the industry experts will be on to help answer the tough questions talk shop and give tips to make your jobs work Greetings, I would like to welcome you to another podcast presentation of and Conversation by the Electrical Association. I'm Mike Miller, your host. I would like to thank you for choosing this Electrical Association podcast for one of your sources of information for things going on in the electrical trade. I'd also like to extend our special thanks to Federated Insurance for being our sponsor for these many activities of the Electrical Association. Today's presentation features an individual who works for Imagine IT. I would like to welcome today Mr. Mark Miller. Mark is the Chief Happiness Officer. Folks, I've got to tell you something neat about Mark. Mark, when I'm prior to the podcast going on, I'd ask Mark, what is a Chief Happiness Officer? Here's the answer he gave me Mark.
1: Yeah, you know, it goes back to uh, about nine years ago, we lost our son, our 19 year old son, his name was Gunner. And when we did that, we decided to start a nonprofit organization called the Gunner Project. And we decided that what we wanted to do with the project is we wanted to get out in front of primarily young adults, but really everybody, and teach happiness. And so we've been doing that for the last, uh, eight years or so. We've been all across the country doing it and have just had wonderful, really cool conversations with kids and young adults and, and other adults, um, kind of as we did that. And so about five years or so ago, our leadership team here at Imagine IT, we were talking and talking about a recent Gunner Project event that we had just done. And we said, man, we really should take this inside um, and bring it into Imagine IT also. And so we have, and, uh, Happiness is one of those things that we talk about on a very regular basis here at Imagine IT. Wow.
0: That seriously is is what a way to start. I think that that people realize what happiness does. It just gives you a whole different slant, it makes everything not so bad, easy to deal with. So, Mark, please let our listeners know a little
1: bit more about your
0: educational experiences and your current role with Imagine
1: IT. Yeah, you know, Imagine IT is a company that was founded back in 1996. We were originally a company called Duralogic. We merged with another company called uh, Next Level Cafe in. 2011, and at that time we rebranded and became Imagine IT. So I'm one of the original founders of Imagine IT. We currently have uh, four founders that that work in the company. Uh, we're we're stationed. We have we have offices in Michigan, Minnesota, and Kansas, and so we cover a good chunk of, of sort of the the you know midwestern states. And we really provide IT support for those companies that either have uh, an IT team, and we we augment that team a little bit or we work with a lot of other small and mid-sized businesses that they just don't have an IT, a professional IT person or staff. And so we take care of sort of all their IT needs.
0: Well, wow, that's, that's a full plate in my book. Uh, I had the opportunity to check out your online uh, website and, and was really impressed with the information that's available there. Uh, it gives a person a real good sense about security. And obviously, your organization is fulfilling a, a really exceptional need for business when it comes to IT, in my mind. Uh, data handling and management is is sometimes overwhelming for the average IT individual, unless that's what you've been trained on pretty. Evelyn. let our listeners know if you would uh, the view of the mission of imagine IT when it comes to data security
1: yeah you know it's it, it's interesting because we we really live in a really cool you know world today you know a lot of the the technologies that were only available to really large you know fortune 100 companies you know five years ago are available to small businesses and mid-sized businesses and uh it really creates a lot of just opportunity that i don't think these businesses have ever had before they just have access to all of these extremely powerful applications and hardware and, and and again all kinds of stuff that enterprise organizations were working with you know years ago and with that adds a level of risk you know there's just this everybody hears about it, it you know you can open up a newspaper or jump on a browser any day and find all kinds of organizations that, you know, were breached and and there are all kinds of hacking incidences that are happening all the time. And so with this profound opportunity that all these businesses have, it also brings with it risk. And that's kind of what we do is we walk beside, you know, our partners in the communities that we work in and and really help them seize this opportunity and and mitigate the risk. Okay.
0: Well, of course, Prior to our discussion online today, we, we also visited a little bit about security. And that's something, Mark, that it scares people when you hear about security because it's, everybody is, can be so sneaky and so uh, villainous to a point where we can't tell the good from the bad. And it's, here's a topic that we can use some education on, I think. So how can an organization strengthen its network security to protect against these cyber threats?
1: That's a that's a great question, and I th- I think it starts, you know, there's, there are obviously a lot of um, hardware and software things that you can do, but I think it really starts with understanding kind of the game that we're playing, right? You can't win the game if you don't know the game that we're playing, and the environment that we live in today is completely different than it was, you know, again, three or five years ago. You know, it used to be that when you thought about a hacker, you thought about a uh, an individual, you know, a cunning individual, maybe a, a young youth. And I think everybody has this picture in their mind of a, of a youth sitting in their basement, you know, with a black hoodie on and there's an open <laughs> pizza box out in front of them. And they're just furiously typing away on their laptop. And, and you have sort of have these matrix numbers that are, you know, just, just as this guy's typing furiously, these numbers are just coming across his screen. And, and we kind of have this idea that a hacker is a person and, anymore they're not. You know, a hacker is not just a, an individual that you cut off in traffic this morning and now he's mad at you and he's going to try to follow you to work and figure out where you work and he's going to hack into your system. It's not a, a one-person thing like this anymore. These these hackers are very well-funded, large business organizations that they, they've made a business out of extorting money from you know businesses in and primarily in the United States, but obviously all across the globe. You know we hear stories of nation states like North Korea and others who have um, you know armies or or battalions of their armies that are their whole purpose is to hack and extort money from organizations and businesses so that they can fund their war efforts. And we we have to understand that it's not just these these cunning you know mischievous youth that are trying to get into our systems. They're very well-funded, very well-organized organizations, and and the game has completely changed. You know, there are a couple of other things that I think that are interesting to, to note, and one of those is that data has become, if it's not the most valuable commodity, it's one of the most valuable commodities that's right now on this dark web. The dark web is a place where, you know, weapons are sold and there's a sex trade on on the dark web and the sale of data has now become one of the most prolific things that's sold out there. There there are millions, billions, trillions of dollars of transactions where, you know, these hackers are stealing data from from individuals and from businesses. And there's a marketplace for this now on the dark web that has made all of this it's sort of it feeds and fuels this this environment that we're in right now.
0: Wow. that's You've got me a little nervous already, Mark, but <laughs> not really. Mark, can you evaluate our, our current business cybersecurity posture and identify any vulnerabilities as weaknesses? Or is that something you guys do routinely?
1: Um you you know we do there there are a lot of organizations out there that do that. We actually have a a self assessment that 's a pretty good place to start for you know a a, a small or mid sized business whatever I think they could go through an assessment and just answer a series of questions that say, you know do you have this in place and yes or no, and do you have this in place yes or no and um most of the time businesses will go through that self assessment and they 'll have you know a handful of these things and and they 'll have another another bunch of these items that they're just not addressing right now. And a lot of this is just, you don't know what you don't know. And so sometimes it's, I just, I had no idea that this was even a thing. And so you can quickly go through and find these, you know, these holes that you have in the cybersecurity posture that you have. And, you know, find, you can work with the, if you're working with a an, an IT provider, they can help you fill those holes or, you know, obviously, if you have an internal staff, those those folks can help help you fill those holes, also.
0: Boy, that's a, a lot to consider. It's not something that can be done overnight. But boy, to maintain the security of that data that keeps our company going, I think that would become a top priority very quickly. Understanding the threats that are out there. So let let's talk about another thing, Mark. And, and this is the worst case scenario: all of a sudden, weird stuff's happening with our system. We are finding out we have transactions that occur on our credit cards and all kinds of crazy things in our business. What if this happens? What should a business do to investigate and react this kind of damage?
1: Yeah, you know that, that that's a that's a great question, Mike. And I I think it's something that every business would very much benefit from asking that question, because most of the security experts that are out there right now, they they say it's not a matter of if you get hacked or if you get breached, it's a matter of when. And so we really feel like it's important for businesses to assume that this is going to happen. And when you make that assumption, you talk to all of your team to say, if and when this happens, this is exactly what you should do, you know, and you practice that a little bit. But the most important thing is if you feel like you've been breached, like you said, you know, if you feel like there's some crazy transactions that are happening or if your mouse seems to be sort of straying across the screen, you know, just kind of strangely and it feels like there might be something else happening on your system. We recommend that you disconnect that system from everything. You basically, you turn it off, you unplug it from your network, and you then immediately contact your IT professionals to say, listen, we've got this machine, we need to have somebody take a look at this. What you don't want to do, and this this happens a lot, is that people will click on something immediately after they click on it, they'll say, oh, darn it, I shouldn't have probably clicked on that. And then what they do is they say they're kind of embarrassed because they know that they made a mistake. And in their embarrassment, rather than raising their hand and kind of admitting that they may have made this mistake and getting this, this device off of the network, they Google it real quick and say, hey, what should I do if I clicked on something bad? And so then they'll download some software, whatever, that supposedly is going to help them. And that just sort of exasperates the situation. It just makes it much, much worse. So again, I think being very open as a business and just allowing people to make those mistakes, understanding that those mistakes are going to happen, and then making sure that they don't go out and try to fix this thing themselves, because that's just going to create more problems. We just need to get that device disconnected and separated and in the hands of a professional who can who can fix it. Mark,
0: this is a tough question. It's kind of a little bit off the record, but when that happens, what are the probability of of an organization such as yours that can actually get that back to a normal state and minimize or at least isolate the damage that's been done? Is that something that's impossible or real easy? How, how does that work?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say the, the, the probability of you getting that machine back in full working order um, is very great, 95, 99%. Most of the time, part of your cybersecurity posture is to prevent the bad guys from getting in your network. There's a whole other part of your cybersecurity posture that allows you to recover once a breach happens. So there are multiple layers of backups that happen. Um, there are all kinds of different things that happen. Again, as IT professionals, and you know, a, a company like Imagine IT, we assume that this is going to happen, and so we've got we've got a lot of different methods that we use and a lot of tools that we use to quickly isolate that machine and then and then clean that up. Again, when you have a solution like this, there is a lot of um, constant monitoring that goes on with these with these products also. So. We oftentimes will know that a breach has happened even before the end user does. So, yeah, it's, it's highly likely that we would be able to get that machine off of the network, clean up the network, and then clean up that machine and have it back up and going in, you know, a day or less.
0: That's remarkable because, you know, it's a fear that, and and I've been using computers since as a kid, and if you realize how old I was, that's a long time. But the story (laughs) I, I bring to you today, though, specifically, is that similar situations have happened where all of a sudden you're hacked and things are operating very poorly, if at all, and you just know, and so you hope. And I really emphasize the word hope you have a qualified team available and hearing what you're telling me, it it just gives you that sense of security. Like it costs money. It can't be too much. That's my thought. I'll tell you why, because when a person gets so heavily reliant on a service or a system and it's not there, this is not good, and we got to get over that. So, next question: I'd like to just run by you quick here. What, what's your thoughts on purchasing software that allegedly, and I keynote allegedly, prevent being compromised by data thieves or ruined by ransom tax?
1: That, that, that's a that's another great question, right? Because if if you feel like there's a threat, and like I said, especially in the instance where you maybe you've 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 just been hacked or you've clicked on something you that you maybe you shouldn't have and you go on to Google and you look for products there to download to try to help you, more than likely you're going to download an application that's gonna be just as bad as what just happened to you. And so I think that if you are looking for software protections like that, you really do want to enlist the advice of a trusted advisor there's a lot of software out there and a lot of there are a lot of platforms out there today that are incredibly powerful and very very effective in preventing this kind of a breach from happening but the bad guys know that there's there are a lot of a, a lot of potential victims out there also and so they're pretty clever about disguising websites and and different things to look like this is going to be a great solution for you and you end up installing something on your computer that actually is, ends up spying on you, right? So when you go to do a purchase like that to protect yourself, I really would lean on the advice of, a, of your kind of trusted advisor to, to make those recommendations for you.
0: I'd never disagree with you. you know, I you know I would think that there's a lot of people that are very skilled in computer consulting whether they're uh in your position as an IT representative or just a very experienced user but you know I've had both and I go to the professional it just seems to be the best source. Well, the next question mark I want to run by is: Is a contractor, in considering investment of his office success, is tied directly to his computer system? How frequently should he be conducting security assessments or uh, present or penetration testing to identify potential vulnerabilities? Is this something that's every day, every week, every month? How does that work?
1: Yeah, and again, another really great question. Um, we recommend, and and I think that you know. All of the other IT providers that we work with and network with on a very regular basis, you know, you really need 24-7 monitoring of your systems. It, the world that we live in today, I wish it wasn't the case, but it is what it is. And there is so much traffic out there today and so many different attack vectors where these these cyber criminals are trying to get into your systems that you really need monitoring of your your systems. You need to make sure that your antivirus is updated and is always updated. All of the different security applications that you're using, I mean, just the software applications that you're using to run your business are constantly being updated with security patches. And you need to make sure that those security patches are being done. And a monitoring system is built to monitor all of those systems individually. Obviously, Theoretically, you might be able to do something like that manually, but, you know, for an organization that has 15 or 20 or 30 um, different workstations to have an individual log into each one of those workstations and check all of the applications and the definitions and make sure that everything is up to date would take somebody almost, you know, almost an entire week to do every week to make sure that things were up to date they just wouldn't be able to do anything else and so having a system that monitors your environment 24/7 is really is really what you need specifically to your question of a of a of a pen test a penetration test that's where an organization like ours would actually sort of take on the role of a hacker and see if we could get into your firewall, see if we could break through your antivirus, see if we could send you a, a series of emails to trick your users into clicking some different things. And so, you know, performing a, a, a penetration test like that yearly is a great thing to do. Um, typically, a, a pen test like that will identify some vulnerabilities that you can fairly easily correct. And certainly, much easier and and much more beneficial to correct those on the heels of a test versus the heels of a breach. Um and yeah, so I think the sure. the combination of those two things is a is a a great sort of stance for a, an organization to take.
0: Right. Well Mark, here's something I'm, try, I'm sure you're very aware of and that's cloud storage of data cuz everyone's doing it now. It's it's convenient, it's reasonable in cost. Do you see any key issues, contractors that are using computers with cloud storage? Is there anything they should be wary of in embracing this extremely useful technology?
1: Absolutely not. Nope. The, yeah. The early days of cloud computing, you know, when the, when the cloud was first brought to market, there were concerns that the bad guys would be able to, you know, listen in and, and, and intercept the, The data that was being transferred from the on-premise from the the offices to the cloud and that is pretty much just not the case if you think about it the cloud is nothing more than a, a server like you would have in your office it's just in a different location and whether you access that data you know on your cell phone or your laptop at home or there are definitely procedures that you should follow that are going to allow secure access of data but that really doesn't make any difference if that data is sitting in your office or sitting in the Microsoft data center or the Amazon data center. So the idea that cloud computing is somehow less secure than having a server in your office is, a, is an outdated notion that we really kind of need to get rid of.
0: Okay. Great. Next question like that, just check out with you. Uh, because of future technological advances, did you ever see an end to the constant fear of outsiders damaging a computer system or stealing its data? Uh,
1: unfortunately, the simple answer to that is no. I was afraid of that. <laughs> yep, it's a it's a it's a vicious cycle. So every time that it, that you read about an organization being breached, or you know these big oil companies and some of these food manufacturers, these multi multi-million dollar organizations that are sending Bitcoin and are paying these ransoms. You know, as long as businesses continue to get breached, they're gonna pay. And as long as they're paying, the enemy is gonna be well funded and they're there's just they're never gonna stop. So it's a it's a vicious circle. You get, you know, a business, an organization gets breached, they send money over. And that pays the salaries for all these hackers to continue doing what they're doing, you know. Sure. It, it's an unfortunate thing. Right now, if you, if, if you were to get breached and call Homeland Security or, or, you know, an organization like that, a federal or government organization, the advice you're going to most likely get is pay the ransom.
0: I want to just jump into this next question, Mark, because you're kind of you're hitting it. But just to make sure we cover the basis, what's the federal government doing to curb chaotic effects of individuals compromising computer systems? You know, you would think they can get into everyone else's face and figure out everything else that everyone else is doing. But why or oh why can't we somehow mount an aggressive attack against those that are hacking, make examples out of them, uh, put them in jail, throw away the key? But yet they seem to get away with it. And there's so many of them. And yet they can hack and identify what all their political operatives are doing on the other side of the aisle. But they can't keep them from hacking our businesses. What's your thought on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's it, it's, a, it's a great question, right? It's being debated all over the place. Um, the The way that the systems work right now and in the global economy that we're in, everybody's basically attached to everybody else through the internet, right? And there isn't really an organization or a a thing that can monitor the internet. It's just it's it's too big, it's too vast. There are too many nooks and crannies and everything going on. And so um like I was saying, if you call the homeland security right now and said my system is hacked, what should I do? They're going to tell you. Their advice to you is going to be pay because when you pay, the bad guys will give you your stuff back. Otherwise their business model fails right if if they didn't give your data back then people would stop paying so you pay they give you your data back and then it's sort of on you then once you've had a breach like that or experienced a breach like that you need to go through your systems and make sure that they haven't left remnants of of software that would allow them a backdoor entry into your you know your systems later and so it really is just kind of a, it's a game of cat and mouse. You know, you don't really ever stay ahead of, you think of a virus definition. Well, the virus definitions, when a new virus is discovered in the wild, super smart cybersecurity companies figure out a way to block that virus and and resolve that virus. And then as soon as that solution is figured out. These cybersecurity companies are working together globally and they, they get the word out that this virus is out there and here's the way you solve for it. But it's in reaction to the virus already being out in out in the wilderness. So it's always a it's always sort of catch up, right? Kind of cat and mouse. And that's just that's the way of the world right now.
0: That's frustrating. But I, I guess heck if it was really easy everybody would in it and would be in it. And but well, here's the next question. Some of our listeners may be curious about an individual or a company where they could find a reputable person to get information related to cybersecurity and threats and how to deal with them. Uh, how would you suggest they do that? I mean, how do you know if I've got the right guy or not for that purpose as an IT person?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, same as other, you know, business dealings, you know, I, I would ask. Ask your peers, right? If your peers are working with a, a company that they they've either had really good experience with, they've had you know a breach incident and the company dealt with the incident in a very expedient manner, that that having a reference like that is great. Like I said, there are organizations like ours that have you know sort of these free resources. I think that our cybersecurity self-assessment is something that every business should go through this series of questions, and whether they do it by themselves or whether they sit down with their IT provider and go through these questions, I, I think the questions need to be answered. And again, once you have the the answers to these questions and you know sort of the threats that are out there, that's your first step in in understanding it. You know, uh, again, a lot of it is just, you just don't know what you don't know. And so having a, a question set like that, that sort of outlines here are the threats that that businesses right now face and just giving true answers to those questions, it it gives you a starting point to creating this cybersecurity posture that's going to allow you to, to survive. Sure. Is there any
0: government regulation or any type of regulation over, like, for example, I'm a master electrician and to do electrical work, I have to be licensed as such to do cyber security and even IT work? Is there any standards you folks have to subscribe to that would set you head and shoulders above another organization that may not be so qualified?
1: Are you talking from a business perspective or from an IT provider well, perspective?
0: Not so much business, because everybody's in business, but from a standard, from an IT, like I'm a, a cybersecurity expert or specialist, and what criteria there would would qualify me above another person that claims the same accolades?
1: Uh, you know, there are a lot of, you know, as in any industry, there are a lot of different certifications that individuals can get to my, you know, and and within different industries, there are like the medical industry has HIPAA, right? So you need, an organization needs to be HIPAA compliant. And a lot of being HIPAA compliant deals with um, sort of your technology and your infrastructure, you know, um, organizations that take credit cards need to be PCI compliant. And so depending on the business that you have, there are um, sort of government rules and regulations for compliance um, that need to be dealt with sort of or organization and industry by industry.
0: Okay. That makes sense. And I, I figured there was something, but yeah, that, that certainly asked it. Well, Mark, one other question I like to ask all of our podcast guests, and that's this, are there any current news items from your organization
1: that you'd like to share with our listeners? I, you know, I don't know that there's a news organi- or a news item necessarily, but I, I, I do sort of get this question a lot, and I think it's a very valid question, right? Um, I, I talk to a lot of you know small and mid-sized business owners every week. Kind of part of what I do is I just get out there and and talk to folks, and there's still this feeling in this sense that you know I'm a small business, and you know, am I really a target, right? I mean. You know, there's Cargill out there and there's some of these big entities. Why in the world would anybody ever choose me? And my answer is simple. I mean, do you have access to $5,000 or $10,000, right? Does your business have access to $50,000? And if, if you do, you're a target. You know, we worked with a, a nonprofit organization several months ago and they they raise money and they they literally, they feed the poor, right? They, they feed people that are are um, having a tough time and they provide meals for these families and they got hacked. And of, of all the organizations, you would think, you know, why in the world would the bad guys want to hack these guys? These guys are literally just helping people. They're just putting food on, mm-hmm. on people's table that that are in need. And the reason is they, they have access to cash. You know, they they went down to their bank and they got $10,000 in Bitcoin and they sent it, you know, overseas wherever they sent it. And that's the reason. So any business owner that looks me in the eyes and says, you know, I I just don't think I'm a target. I I think they really need to rethink that because they actually are. So yeah, it's a, again, I wish, I wish it wasn't the case, but that's that's reality. That's kind of where we're well, at in today's world.
0: I think what you've told us today certainly opens our eyes a bit or at least makes us think a little deeper than past than we may have in the past. And I, I think that's important. Uh, your responsibilities in this organization are awesome, I think, from a standpoint that... Uh, you, you you go to everybody. There's no saying, oh, we just want the big ones. We just want the small ones. That, that's a, the concept that you presented clearly makes it clear to me that everybody's potentially a target, like you say. Well, it's been most kind of you to share your views and your perspectives of Imagine IT in doing in educating us the Electrical Association and our members who often listen to this podcast. It's neat to have guests on like you that have such an insight that uh, everybody needs to hear. And so another program draws to a close. I would like to thank you, Mark, uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to make our listeners more aware of what Imagine IT does. Are there any final comments you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Um, you know, I, I don't think so. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to talk with you guys here this morning. It's something that obviously we're we're very passionate about. You know, I think that uh, we all think that you know small business is the fabric of our country, and uh, you know we're all in this together. And so I think the more that we can share this message and get a real understanding of kind of the you know the battle that we wage every day, I, I think that's it's 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 doable. Um, but it's it needs to be intentional and. I think getting this message out and, and as much as we can with other small business owners is, uh, is very important.
0: Well, Mark, thanks so much for being here. And with that, I would like to thank our executive producer, Katie Grams, for her work behind the scenes to make this podcast happen. Also, a big thank you to Federated Insurance, who sponsored this presentation. With that, I wish you all safe travel until you can join us again for another Electrical Association Sparkin' Conversations. I'm Mike Miller, your host. Good day. Sparkin' Conversations was a production of the Electrical Association. For more information, visit www.electricalassociation.com.